Well, I think it's obvious to everyone by now who's been following the news <clears throat> why Malcolm Honeline is, um, ha- has been somewhat mysterious over the last couple of weeks regarding his whereabouts and refused last week to tell us in a public setting where he's going to be going with the conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations. We do have confirmation that Malcolm will be with us next week from Israel, and that's going to be a big show because the conference will be there in Israel meeting with government officials and doing their annual February trip. Um, but let me before I introduce uh, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder, who are going to join me for a few minutes and analyze some news with us um, in just a moment, before I introduce them, let me go through the details that the Jerusalem Post released regarding the Honeline visit to the UAE, and then we will discuss it. And again, Malcolm himself is scheduled to return to these airwaves a week from today when they are uh, securely in Jerusalem. Uh, So here's what it says. In yet another sign of rapprochement with the Persian Gulf states, a group of prominent U.S. Jewish organizational leaders led by Malcolm Honeline will travel in the coming days to the United Arab Emirates, members of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, which Honeline leads as its executive vice chairman, will travel to uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai as part of their annual leadership mission before coming to Israel. The group's annual conference in Jerusalem begins a week from Sunday. The visit comes amid increasing small signs of normalized interaction between Israel and the Gulf states, including reports on Wednesday that Saudi Arabia will allow Air India to fly over its territory on flights to and from Israel and a 23-person delegation from Bahrain that visited Israel in December. Honeline told the Jerusalem Post that the aim is to, quote, foster better ties with the U.S., the American Jewish community, and Israel. Although this is not the first time his organization will bring a delegation to the UAE, he said it will be the largest. Each year the conference goes to another country before coming to Israel among countries visited previously, Egypt, Jordan, Morocco, Tunisia, Bahrain, Qatar, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, and Uzbekistan. The trip comes quickly on the heels of a trip Homeline made to Qatar in November, where he met with uh, Emir Sheikh Tamin bin Hamad al-Tani. A number of other prominent U.S. Jewish leaders have also visited Qatar in recent weeks. The UAE, as well as Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, uh, have cut diplomatic ties with Qatar and imposed a blockade on Qatar last summer. Honeline has for many years maintained covert ties with the leaders of Arab and Muslim countries and regularly holds meetings with the leaders of of Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, Azerbaijan, and other Middle Eastern states. He met with the Syrian President Assad in 2011 before the outbreak of the civil war there. And uh, Honeline, who was in Israel this week, said he will not be delivering any message to the UAE from Jerusalem. So that is the story that Malcolm refused to share with us last week, uh, that in fact the conference mission led by him is going to be in the UAE and likely is there right now, I would assume. And next week he'll join us from Jerusalem and we'll get a full report. I've asked uh, both Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder, who um, are heard on our network, the Malcolm Siegel Network, Thursday mornings at 9.30 with Spin Class, analyzing the world of politics and giving their opinion about this crazy world of ours to join me for a few minutes this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, Michael, Phil, good morning. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Good morning. Good morning. Great to speak to you. Michael, we'll start with you. Your reaction when you uh, when you've, uh, when you've you heard that, in fact, Malcolm Honeline and this delegation has the UAE as its target for the February trip. 
Well, I, I'd like to say that this is a breakthrough, uh, but you know, this is, as you mentioned, the conference uh, has met with members of the Arab League quite regularly, and over the last uh, year of this new administration, we've actually seen a significant shift among Sunni Arab countries uh, towards moderation when it comes to uh, comes to Israel. And a lot of times, despite the fact that the conference might not be delivering messages, uh, this is a precursor to closer ties, or at least a confirmation of closer ties, uh, between uh, Middle East uh, Arab countries, Sunni Arab countries, as well as Israel. A lot of them uh, have realized over the last uh, years or so, uh, couple of years that they have a common enemy in Iran. Israel shares that enemy. And now with Iran essentially uh, de facto taking over Syria, there's a lot of concern. The war in Yemen is a big concern. So Israel has mutual concerns. And we saw it last week also with the report of Israel and Egypt with their extensive security cooperation in the Sinai. Right. And that is a another indication of, you know, where common enemies make uh, essentially make diplomatic friends. When do you think these trips, and Qatar is, of course, among, uh, you know, the, the uh, on the top of the list, when do you think these trips have high recommendation to remain secretive, and when do you think these trips get high recommendation for there to be publicity, as in this case, when it seems that um, some people are over-anxious uh, to let the world know that this meeting is happening at the UAE? I'll leave that to Phil, since he's you know been one of our high-ranking type of uh, uh, <laughs> officials. All right, Phil Goldfeder, uh, when do these things remain a secret and when is it an advantage to keep it that way and when is it an advantage to use the press as a vehicle to let the world know what's happening? You know, as a recovering politician, you try and keep things private, um, especially in, in these kind of settings. I mean, I, I think it really is about the purpose of the meeting, right? I, I think, I mean, you see this in the U.S. all the time. Is it about building meaningful relationships and, and starting meaningful dialogues or sending some sort of message or sending some sort of statement. I think, I think to me, it sends a really strong message that we're trying to be pragmatic in our approach and trying to really find uh, meaningful relationships. So sometimes in those situations, it's better to not have the publicity. To, it's better to not have the pundits talking about whether they should go, whether they shouldn't go, whether it's the smart thing, the wrong thing, the right thing. Sometimes you want to just act and without sort of those outside influencers. And I, and I, I give look, Malcolm is the, is the right person and, and the right, and I think this is, uh, as Michael laid out, is really the right time to, to start some of these dialogues. Right, but there's no question that there are people behind this who are over-anxious for certain countries to know about this big meeting, right? That's obvious at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me ask you this. The Jerusalem Post said it at the end of their article, and this is both for Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder, whoever wants to take it, that he, meaning Malcolm Honline, and the delegation, I guess, would be included in that, said they will not be delivering any message to the UAE from Jerusalem. Is it possible to separate the two? Is it possible for someone to sit there in that type of capacity and that type of representation of Jewish leadership and for most people not to suspect that there is, in fact, a message from Jerusalem in there? Look, I would say, and I'll allow Michael to, to finish, I mean, the, the... I think by virtue of the fact that he's there and that the delegation is going, that all by itself is a message. Um, and sometimes that's message enough. And so, you know, whether there's uh, a, the formalities are not always as important as 
the symbolism of, of actually going and, and, and sending that statement. Michael, what do you think? Well, sometimes these things work and sometimes they don't. I mean, the Jewish community, Jewish leadership, as uh, be it uh, the AJC, be it the conference presidents, be it other Jewish organizations, the EDL, have ported Turkey over the last uh, t- decade. And we've actually seen the opposite of of progress when it comes to uh, when it comes to Israel, as far as Turkey is concerned. Uh, but opening the door and just having a dialogue is is in and of itself important. I mean, these these are not uncontroversial issues. There, we've seen a very public attack of those who went to Qatar uh, by Rabbi Shmuley Botea, who has been relentlessly attacking Alan Dershowitz and others right. in the press, including an article yesterday. Right. Uh, once again, so there's been a lot of uh, now Qatar is a little different, and they are a sponsor of. Hamas and the home of Hamas, etc. The UAE has moved away from that. Um, but, you know, this is a, as I said, this points to a, an overall shift in a lot of the mainstream Sunni Muslim co- countries, the Gulf countries, who have recognized that uh, Israel is not their foe, it's Iran that's their foe, and if there's a way to make uh, open a door to Israel without actually opening formally the door to Israel, which might cause some controversy, they can possibly do that through the American Jewish community, and that has been a long time. That's been a long time diplomatic device uh, that that countries have used uh, to use the American Jewish community as a proxy. Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder, the uh, co-hosts of Spin Class, our political uh, a program, political analysis program, uh, Thursday mornings at nine thirty Eastern time. They're both with us right now at America's one and only Jewish. Moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NachumSiegel.com on the NachumSiegel Network and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline returns next week when he'll be in Jerusalem now as you heard uh, as we uh, discussed based on the uh, couple of articles we saw this morning. He is leading the delegation to the UAE and that is his preoccupation at the moment. Let's talk a little bit about this country. Michael, is there a uh, a political reason Behind another thousand points lost in the stock market and this uh, the big crash, if we could use that word uh, this week, um, or is it simply what many point to as a correction, and it's more of a financial situation, not really based on any political decision or news story that's happening in this country? Well, I think everything is is tied together. I don't want to say uh, that um, that the market ignores political instability, and even if it was for a couple hours. Uh, the government shut down yet again uh, overnight, and then reopens suddenly. <laughs> and that's uh, you know that's a that's a sign that in Washington they still can't really get their act together on on fiscal. Now there's the government's going to be spending a lot more. There are concerns with regard to the debt. There's concerns with regard to interest rates, and uh, the and the market has gone up tremendously. I'm not in, I don't consider myself a market expert. If I was, I'd probably be uh, you know sitting at a trading desk right now. But I would. But I would say this, there is no way to divorce political realities from the market. But that's why other presidents have never tied themselves to market success and market uh, downgrade. Most presidents kind of, or most uh, gov- governments look at the bond market and look at the money market because that's something they actually have some influence. And I should also mention there's a new Fed chairman came into office uh, this week. And uh, so, you know, we'll see. Um, but... Uh, well, well, well. This president has not hesitated to tie his administration to the market success. Correct? Uh, he has not, and I think a lot of people have uh, now explained to him why he should not have. 
Right, because if you're going to take credit on the upswing, you're going to get blame on the downswing, right? Yeah, I think the silence this week has been deafening, right? I think that's sort of been, I think a lot of people around the president have been trying to express to him not to tie himself to the market because of its, its fluctuation. And we're seeing that exactly this week where the president hasn't you know, said anything and, and hasn't, um, hadn't sort of taken any of the credit or any of the blame for what's happening in the market. And by the way, he shouldn't, right? I don't, I don't necessarily put it at his doorstep, I, as Michael laid out, I think. There's no question it's tied to, to government and, and the administration, but I, I'm, I'm not screaming from the rafters that this is the president's fault in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, it works both ways. We can't talk about breaking records every time the market goes up and then sit eerily silent when the market goes down. So either we've got to own it or, we, or not. Um, and as Michael said, you know, the, the current dysfunction, again, I don't lay that at the doorstep of the White House. I think in Washington overall, you know, again, is sort of, you know, illustrated and demonstrated last night with another government shutdown for no real reason other than, you know, to send a message to, to score political points. And it's, it's frustrating, and, and you're seeing that in the market, and I think in the American people all across the country. Phil, you were never involved in a state government shutdown, were you? Uh, no, I was not. We, uh, we, we were late uh, by a few hours on a budget, but um, never shut down, no. Uh, Michael, if uh, North and South Korea have warmer relations, do we give credit to the pressure of the United States or to the Olympic Games? I seeing inside the mind of uh, Kim Jong Un is way above my pay grade, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, I will say I I am a little bit astounded. I mean, I am astounded by the fact that he sent his sister to the Olympic Games, right. uh, reportedly his closest advisor. The first time a member of the ruling family—I don't want to say royal family—but the, you know, the the ruling family uh, of of North Korea, the first time one has been there since the Korean War, and I, you know, I, I'm sure as opposed to the, the North people in North Korea not getting most news and not having access to the outside world, this is getting some coverage, and they in North Korea, and I imagine that a lot of people will now see and understand how much more advanced South Korea is than the North. And perhaps that is a signal of openness. Finally, do you guys uh, mock people like me who are trying very hard to understand the whole memo situation in Washington, and no matter what easy breakdown I read about the situation, I still can't hop what's going on? <laughs> it's I unfortunate. Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, I mean the only the word Phil used inappropriately, and I concur. It's a it's it's a nothing burger. A, a nothing burger. <laughs> you know, we we talk about this. You know, sort of the build up. You know, we we talk about managing expectations. Right, the build up to this memo was was just tremendous. I mean, it was nonstop coverage of what this memo is. Should it be released? Is the president going to release it? And then all of a sudden, it gets released and. It left me wanting more. I'll tell you, you know, it, it, you know, some people, you know, thought it was in some way it vindicated the president and it, it sort of it talked about the bias that, at, you know, at our law enforcement agencies. But I don't think it did any of that. Um, and I'm equally disappointed now with the buildup leading to the, the Democratic memo or the Schiff memo, which I think is going to be equally disappointing and, and valueless to the American people. I mean, there's reasons why we have certain committees and there are reasons why those committees are set up in a certain way. And so intelligence committees are meant to be private. They're meant to protect the national security of our country. And so we're in this game now where we're trying, you know, we're, we're, we're 
we're cherry-picking what should be released, what shouldn't be released in the name of transparency and vindication. And I think it's irresponsible. I think it's irresponsible for the Democrats, and I think it's irresponsible, of course, for, for the Chairman Nunez um, for sort of getting starting us down this path. Wow, interesting. Uh, Malcolm Holmlines in the UAE. I want to thank both Michael Fragan and uh, Phil Goldfeder for joining me for a political discussion this morning. Uh, we are expecting Malcolm Holmlines to update us from Jerusalem one week from today. By the way, Michael, have you uh, have you made any decisions about which candidates you might be uh, assisting during the uh, midterm process coming up? Uh, I am very much in discussion with a number of them. Woo! I, we will. Uh, we will have to wait and see for a future program. New York area, or could be outside of this area. Uh, I, there are there's going to be a number of competitive races here in the New York area, and that's still still and I both identified uh, the last couple shows. All right, you're not and Malcolm, just, just for the for the purpose of good radio, I'm going to take the other side of that of that race. As, <laughs> as he should. It's, uh... Well, I would expect nothing less, Phil Goldfeder, <laughs> in the interest of ratings. Uh, thank you to both of you, and Shabbat Shalom. Greatly appreciate it. Michael Fragan, Phil Goldfeder, there they are. Spin class Thursdays, 9.30 in the morning, uh, Eastern time here at the Malcolm Siegel Network. Uh, weekly update, Malcolm Holmline returns next week. He is scheduled to be in Jerusalem after this uh, trip to the UAE. I, speaking of ratings grabber, I would strongly suggest you tune in next week. I am sure... The review of that journey is going to be pretty interesting and amazing. 